Well, my friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Oh, our Father, oh, that your Holy Spirit now would begin to work, perhaps already working in our heart to receive the truth of the Word of God this morning. Oh, that our, the soil of our heart would be soft and prepared to receive the true seed of the Word of God. Oh, that great fruit would come of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember watching with fascination as the impact of one man upon the world was being described on this television show. Well, the man, of course, was Christopher Columbus. There isn't a person in this room that hasn't probably even studied about this man. I mean, according to research, Columbus was responsible for introducing many new things to America. Horses, cattle, pigs, goats, and if I recall correctly, smallpox. <laughs> Columbus brought not only some of, the, uh, some of Europe to America, he also took some things back to, um, from America back to Europe. Among these things were smoking and syphilis, <laughs> and whether for the good of mankind or for his detriment, this one man made a great impact in the world, but certainly not the greatest impact. Over the centuries of mankind's history, my friends, many, many men and women have significantly impacted the destiny of those who followed after them. None, however, has had a greater impact than Adam, the very first man. As a matter of fact, there's nobody that's ever been on this planet that has not been affected by the choices of Adam. And in our text today, Paul shows just how great the impact of Adam's fall has been upon mankind. And here in chapter 5, Paul stresses the impact to demonstrate that in spite of the curse that Adam brought to us, God has provided a cure in the person in the work of Jesus Christ. Find me a chapter in Romans that doesn't have the gospel in it, my friends. How importantly true it is to each one of us individually and all of us corporately. So Paul begins in chapter 5, by reminding us of the great blessings that we have, having been justified by faith. Boy, there is a phrase that you're going to hear over and over and over again in this book, because it is so essential that we understand. How can anyone be saved? Yeah, we can be saved because Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead, and we put our faith in him. We put our trust of all that we are, all that we have, all that we will be in him. And when we do, the Father himself declares us righteous. The very righteousness of Christ, imagine it, is placed into our account. And our great sin, every last one of them, yeah, the one you're thinking about right now, was placed into the account of Christ. And he died for us. He died in our place. 
Well, notice the list is great here, my friends. Notice, if, if you will, in uh, verses 1 through 11 here of chapter 5 in the book of Romans, you will notice the first thing that we have, because we have been justified by faith, because we are now right by God, because of what God has done for us. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Previous to our salvation experience, my friends, we were at war with God. All that we are from the inside out, our thoughts, our desires, our actions, were all hostile toward God. But when he drew us into this relationship, we became at peace with God. And how wonderful that is. No more animosities. No need to fear God's wrath and his judgment. That was settled on the cross. We are at peace with God. But not only that. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 tells us this. We not only are at peace with God. We have the peace of God. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And you know what that peace does in our life? Paul writes, and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is no fear in Christ. We are at peace with God and we have his great peace. And our peace, my friends, was purchased by the death of Christ. You will notice that last clause at the end of verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was his death, not your actions, not your decisions, but it was his death on our behalf and his resurrection that enables us to be at peace with God. But you will notice we not only have peace with God, we have access to God. Verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Imagine, we have obtained access by faith into this grace. You remember when Jesus was on the cross? Remember the darkness and the thunders and the lightnings? Something big was happening there, my friends. It was dying for your sin. But when he died, do you remember what happened over there at the temple? The veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. You see, that veil was there as a big sign saying, Not welcome. You may not enter here. Once a year, the high priest could go in there. And you know what they did? They tied a rope around his ankle. Because if he did something wrong, God would strike him dead there in the Holy of Holies. But when Christ died for our sin, my friend, he brought peace. And he gave us access to God. And one of the most practical ways that we experience that is through prayer. Now, there are people all over this planet yelling and dancing and doing all sorts of things to a God they made up in their own mind. They have no hope 
no answers from God, but you and I do. He has given us access, my friends, access to his grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you want to know something about this grace? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, it reads this way. But he said to me, that's Paul. Paul was going through a particular difficult time. And three times Paul said, Lord, take this away from me. And you know what the Lord said? <laughs> now, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And for the sake of Christ, then, am I in content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when am I weak? Then I am strong. Then I have the grace of God. Unmerited favor, unmatched power. The grace of God providing all that we need. I'm going to sneeze. Just beware. Look that way. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Pardon me. Back to the sermon. So we have access to God, verse 2. But notice in verses 3 to 4, we have purpose in our suffering. Outside of Christ, people get in accidents, they get sick, they have, lose a job, the economy turns down, and now they're wondering where they go. And they have no purpose for it whatsoever. Not so with you and I. Because God is using all of these things in our life. Notice what Paul says here. Not only that... And what Paul is saying here is as amazing as these things are, that we have peace with God, that we have the peace of God, that we have access to God and all of his grace. Not only that, we have purpose in all of our suffering. Verse 3, not only that, but we have, we rejoice in our sufferings. Boy, the rest of the world doesn't do that, do they? But you and I can. Rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. This is the work that God is doing in our life. Changing us from the inside out. Using the circumstances of your life. And that, my friends, is how we can rejoice. Though our days are hard. Though people may be unkind, we know that God is using all of these things in our life. Purpose in suffering. This may be difficult, but I know it will be worth it, is the phrase every believer can use in earnestness and truth. Because God is at work in our life, and how wonderful that is. And then the list just keeps getting better and better. Take a look here, verse 5. He says, the character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. 
because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. We have been given the third person of the Trinity to indwell us, to be constantly focused in our lives on us, to change us and conform us to the character of Christ. And so we have the Holy Spirit who pours love into our hearts and who indwells every believer. You see, the moment you put your trust in Christ, Ephesians 2 says that we're given the Holy Spirit as a down payment and a guarantee of the inheritance that awaits us in heaven. And how wonderful is that? To know that you can't blow it, that you can't lose it, that you can't ruin it or wreck it. Because God is at work holding you together by His Holy Spirit. And so we... We, my friends, have peace, we have access, we have purpose, and we have been given the Holy Spirit. And here in verse uh, 6 through 8, we know God's love. We have knowledge of God's love. And do you know why? Because first and foremost, we needed it. Look at here in verse 6. For while we were still weak, now this doesn't have anything to do with your muscles, but your moral character. Why we, while we were still weak morally, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that is the amazement of all history right there. That Christ would die for sinners. Sinners who absolutely, positively, without question, deserve eternity in hell. And yet the very Son of God went to a cross to purchase our freedom. And our forgiveness. You see, while we were still morally weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And look at what he says here in verse 7. Paul says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. You know, sacrifice your life for the good of someone else. Well, not for that guy. He's a rascal. That's what Paul says. For almost scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would even dare to die for. But notice verse 8. Oh, how great this truth is. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, didn't wait for us to clean up our act. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died on behalf of us. He died in our place as a substitute for me and you. Who deserved that cross? Me. You. Every last one of us, every one of the insults and the spear and the thorns and, the, and worse and worse. See, the thing is, if you were crucified today, and someone said, how you doing now? You could honestly tell them, far better than I deserve. Far better than I deserve. Because how great, how great our sin. How great. 
And so, my friends, we know the love of God. He died for us, unmistakable. Unmistakable. And here in verses 9 through 11, we find that we are reconciled to God. Very similar to the first statement that says that we have peace with God. He's saving us from the wrath of God. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. That, of course, is a reference to his death. It wasn't a blood draw that saved us. It was the death of Christ. Therefore, we have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Indeed. How great this salvation is, my friends. Saving us from the very wrath of God. And reconciling us while we were still enemies. Notice the terms that Paul uses here about you and about me. For if... While we were enemies, that describes us before knowing Christ. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved in this life? He's talking about his resurrection and the impact of the resurrection in our life. His death and now in his life shall we be saved. More than that, verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We who were once lost are now found. The picture of the sheep, 99 sheep. Let's go after the lost one. That's what God did. It's me and you. Now here in verses 12 through 17, 12 through 17, I thought about making this a separate sermon. But the background of justification, we've looked at the impact of justification, the blessings, but now the background. So you see here in verses 12 to 14, Paul talks about the origin of sin. You see, he talks about the actions of one man. Therefore, verse 12, big transition word, just as sin came into the world through one man, and the result of his sin, the actions of one man, that's Adam, but look at the results of Adam's sin. Don't miss this, my friends. And death through sin. See, sin came into the world And people started dying because the wages of sin is death twofold, physically, spiritually. Physically, it means death the way that everybody understands it. And spiritually, it means that we are divided from God. Why we so desperately need reconciliation? Because we are now enemies of God. But when Christ died for our sin and the Spirit drew you to himself, and gave you the faith to believe they were reconciled. But the origin of sin is one man, that's Adam. And his sin brought sin into the world, and in sin he brought death. You see, all men's sin 
and all men die. So death spread to all men. Why? Because we all sin. Say it with me. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Two are connected. You know how someone was a sinner? They died. Yeah, but he was a really good man, but he's dead. Guess what? He's a sinner. Verse 13, for sin in there was seed, was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Proof that sin reigned is this, people still died. Yeah, but there was no law to say, hey, you sinned, you, you violated, you know, like Melanie, I went on vacation this week, did a little time away and uh, flying down these country roads. No speed limit sign. Oh, what do you suppose it might be? And there, my friends, is the world. What should we do here? Well, let's come up with our own law. When there was no law, my friends, that's how people lived. They knew there was a God. They knew that they were accountable to this God. Despite the fact that there was no law, my friends, People kept dying because people were still sinners. Yet, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So the emphasis here is when there is sin, there is death. And we know that sin has spread to every one of us because all people die. I'm older than I ever was before today. And I know that date arises. I don't know when it will be, and so do you. And knowing this truth, my friends, should change the way we look at our life and our time. Previous to this, my friends, we have simply done this. Ah, we got all summer. Ah, we <laughs> spring break. Oh, no worry. We got tomorrow. But one day you won't have one, friends. See, people coughing. I don't know who that was, and it doesn't matter. We love you anyway. <laughs> but hear me, friends. Sin brings death. Sin worldwide. Every human coming into this world. It's not hard to tell anyway. Has anyone ever babysat a two-year-old? <laughs> Everything you read about in the Bible is right there. And I don't. Rebellion. I want what I want, I want it now, and I don't want it that way, you know. And, uh, whoever thought that you could ruin a child's life by simply cutting a sandwich in half, didn't want it that way. It's in nature, my friends, and every one of us have it from our very birth. So we talk about this word type. It's in uh, verse 14. Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come, and that's Jesus. How is Adam, the ultimate sinner, the one that wrecked everything, a type of Christ? Well, a type means there's something about him that in some way is reflected in someone else. Let's see how. Notice here in verse 15, the distinction between Adam and Christ. There is a, a great distinction 
It is uh, it's the difference between death and grace. You see, Adam's sin brought about death. But Jesus' death brought about abounding grace. And so the impact of one. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass. But here it is. Now notice here as we continue in verse 15. Much more. As horrific as this fall became on all of humanity, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And so that there is a bit of a contrast, a distinction between Adam and Christ, and that one brought death and the other delivered grace. Now here in verses 16 and 17, the difference between condemnation and justification Adam's sin brought condemnation. Look at verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's who have passed, death reigned through one man much more. Will those who have received the abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus? Yes, the impact of Adam was great, but oh, how much greater the impact of Jesus. Hmm. And then Paul summarizes here, my friends. Notice verse 18 to 21 here. One trespass results in condemnation to all men. That's what he says here. Therefore, verse 18, is one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. One man's obedience here in verses, uh, verse 19, one man's obedience results in many being made righteous. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the man will be made righteous. One man, one man. There's the type. And here in verse 20 and 21, God's grace reigns for eternal life through Jesus. Hear me, my friends. Here is the call. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, here it, grace, grace abounded all the more. The grace of God is greater than all of your sin. All the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let's wrap it up. The grace of God, my friends, the grace of God is greater than all of your sin. But hear me when I say this. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. If you are in Adam, eternal death, separation from God for all eternity is your future. But if you are in Christ, eternal joy eternal hope and joy and happiness and love. That is your future. So how do you get to be in Jesus then? 
Well, man, my friends, you put your trust in Jesus. You trust him who died in your place. And so some application. Get in Christ. Trust him. Trust him even now. It is not what you say. It is the faith of your heart that cries out for God and his deliverance. Battle every moment by moment. Battle moment by moment your temptation to sin, my friends. It will only bring ruin. It promises joy, but it will only bring death. Destruction of relationships. Battle moment by moment your temptation to sin. Be aware of it, my friends, and say no. And how about this? Why don't you tell someone else about Jesus? Tell someone else about Jesus. So I think about it. There was a um, a Hollywood type, unbeliever. I recall hearing him say, listen to me. If I believed what you believed, that Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead, and that he would bring forgiveness and eternal life, I would tell the world, what kind of horrible monster would you be to keep it to yourself? It's not wrong. What kind of monster am I to keep it to myself? Open yourself up to the Spirit's leading, my friends. Perhaps it's a post on your Facebook or a big sign in front of your house. Go with the leading of God. And when the prompting comes, when the Spirit of God says, tell them, you worry mouth. And you tell them about Jesus. You don't worry about what they might think of you. You worry about what they might spend their eternity, what, what they might experience in all eternity. Don't be that monster. Don't be that selfish, selfish person who says, nah, I'm all right. Forget everyone else. Father, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand how great this grace is that has brought sinners and made them righteous. How great the death of Christ and the purchase that he acquired at Calvary. Oh, Father, cause us to be grateful. And shame on us if we're not. But God, help us. Help us to be bold. Help us to be intentional. Help us to tell the world some way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.